Hello and welcome once again to What's Out There, the paranormal podcast from the Out There Paranormal Group. And talking for you today, we have myself, Nigel, and myself, Juliet. And we also have somebody else. We do. We do indeed. <gasps> Another special guest. Another great guest. Mm. What can we say? There's what so many say, things to say, huh? isn't it? Very talented lady. Indeed. Scottish. Mm parapsychologist, mm-hmm. a soon-to-be TV star, psychology lecturer, former psychology lecturer, a renowned parapsychologist. Yes. <laughs> I've messed it up already. Evelyn Hollow, welcome to our podcast. I'm so sorry I messed that interrupt completely. So can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, please? Thank you very much. Sure. So I was a former psychology lecturer. Um, I do still guest lecture occasionally, but not very often. Uh, I am a writer, paranormal psychologist, and now I mostly consult as an expert for television shows, podcasts, radio, things like that on the paranormal. Lovely. Thank you very much. So here's a question to ask you to start with. Um, You probably get asked it every single time you come onto these things. Why the paranormal? Mm. What got you into this field? I think growing up as a kid, um, it wasn't really that unusual for me. It was very much talked about in my house. Um, my mother had a fairly keen interest in it. Um, and so I never really saw it as anything that strange. It was always paranormal things happen and just what are they? Um, and so I had a pretty keen interest in it from a young age. I'm a big fan of all things, you know, horror, strange mm. and then when I came into uh, being really interested in physics um, as a kid, I started sort of looking at linking the two together. And then I went on to do a degree in psychology. And mm-hmm. I was sort of, I was a forensic psychologist for a couple of years. Um, but I was really subspecializing in interactions between quantum physics and human consciousness. And I started to see a link um, between Ooh. paranormal and anomalous phenomena and yeah. consciousness and quantum physics and things like that. And then I was like, I found out that one of my supervising professors had a PhD in parapsychology and I was like, that's a thing. Can I train in it? So I did and then did a master's as well. And then, yeah, that's that's kind of how I ended up becoming a parapsychologist. Wow, that's fascinating, isn't it? I love the fact that you, you mentioned something there that I want to go on too much later on because there's an, an area of research you've undertaken that I'm completely fascinated and I think you will be as well yeah, with regards absolutely. to um, quantum theory and all this kind of that, stuff. That, that's something that I am truly fascinated in and I've been sort of reading a lot about it because I definitely think there's a link. Now, I know that you've talked about historically sort of when you've previously said about your mum. Did your mum have any sort of psychic tendencies or anything as you were growing up? Did she sort of sense anything? Uh, and she's not a psychic or anything like that, but she uh, she definitely had, um, you know, weird weird stuff happen. She's what I've previously referred to as a, as a spirit talker and that um, that's how, how I understand it personally, is that mm-hmm. she had no control she would just things would just happen to her and they happened to her from a very young age and growing up I'd remember her going to family funerals and things and coming back and you know having essentially had kind of visitations from things and con well not quite conversations with with the deceased that's a bit weird but um the you know she did have things happen from a from a young age and they were never really treated as abnormal they were simply things that happened and then I was looking at okay well what is 
what is the science of that? Like, how is that mm -hmm. possible? Um, and she wasn't the only one. It wasn't until much later on, I think when I was getting ready to start filming Spooked Scotland, that mm. um, my dad started talking about experiences that he'd had as well. And I was like, really? I didn't, I didn't oh. yeah, I didn't even know about it. He never talked right. about that stuff, wow. but he did mention, you know, one or two. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's hard without being there to ascertain what they did experience, but yeah. they're both, you know, um, super practical, rational, yeah, kind of salt of the earth people and they they, they weren't you know they're, they're both keenly scientifically minded and so it wasn't like they had an experience and then they instantly jumped to it being paranormal and you know you always try and rule out everything else first so for me it's just applying the science of of what is that experience mm -hmm. wow do you have any abilities to yourself that you know of you sort of pick up on things or anything like that. I know it's fun to throw at you when you're sort of, mm, yeah. okay. Yeah. Whether you're going um, to admit to it or not, I don't know. Yeah, there's, uh, I don't know, there's, you know, there's stuff that's happened to both my sister. Things would always, if things happened, they would normally happen to, uh, my family's a very matriarchal family and um, when things happened, they did, you know, they were more likely to happen to me, my sister Rachel and my mother Simone. Um, and, you know, you would have strange things happen and, and, you know, there were occasions where things would happen simultaneously several mm -hmm. cities apart, which were always really, really difficult wow. to rationalise away. Yeah. yeah. But um, they're not, you know, there, there is there is histories, histories of things. But I think um, I think for me, they were always hard to talk about because as a scientist you have a have a hard enough job uh, trying to be a woman's a hell of a job alone yeah, never mind absolutely. trying to be a female scientist <laughs> trying to be a female scientist and every other you know category that I'm assigned to so um I I never actively talked about them because I just knew that people would be like oh well you know you're yeah. unhinged or but whatever yeah it's a shame really because it's it's all valid isn't it it's when you're sort of looking into change. this field yeah it is starting to change but we're not there yet have know. you noticed any changes do people take you more seriously now or do you still find you've got that stigma where people think oh it's Evelyn she's just a female lady mm. you know and then don't believe a word that you say Oh, the discrimination is unreal. Um, oh. I think growing up as, um, you know, when you, when you have the misfortune of growing up female, um, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of used to it anyway. And so when you're in the field of science, you are used to, you have to work twice as hard for half as much yeah, all do. the time. And then also as a, as a parapsychologist on top of that, I mean, when I was working as a, as a experimental forensic psychology research assistant, there was no issue at all. So everybody takes you very seriously. And as soon as I swapped to parapsychology, one of one of the other lecturers outright said it was career suicide. Um, wow. And now I am the busiest person I know. <laughs> like, did I wow. say it's career suicide? Is it? I haven't I haven't stopped working for however many years. Mm. But it's um, yeah. There's instantly an air of is that a thing? And I think parapsychology as a whole um, is is kind of not taken seriously. But you're still it depends whether you're lecturing or doing work in a lab you're still under scientific methodology you're still peer-reviewed things like yeah. that it is harder out in the field because we now have a lot of um draw a lot of uh kind of like youtubers and stuff people who are interested in the paranormal yeah. and that's great i love it and i love that everyone's interested in it but you know what what they're doing isn't always scientific and, it, and it's hard for me to mediate because you're brought into things and you have to still be, you know, entertaining and or you're on the screen or whatever yeah. and still be present and still let them do their thing. But you have to remember that it's not like I'm not in a lab. 
We're not, we're trying to do it as scientifically as possible, trying to rule out things, trying to be aware, but it's hard to do it under scientific conditions yeah, in the field. Absolutely. And so you've kind of got to look at where other academics will be like, oh, well, it's not scientific. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm not doing it in a lab. We're not submitting it to nature for peer review. We're trying <laughs> to make it as science, scientific as possible. Mm. So I see more now that my role is um, more kind of categorizing phenomena. Like if something happens, okay, what kind of phenomena is it? what category does it fit into like what is the difference between a ghost a wraith a poltergeist things like that so i'm designing yeah. lots of scales and categories and systems and things like that so that we can and then from there we can kind of do it because there's we really lack that in the field you know people we, lack really it. Do. we do yeah. yeah and everyone else has yeah. sort of weird opinions of what is what i mean i've heard people say to me that ghosts and spirits are doing two different things i'm thinking well actually i thought they were the same thing no, so no, a ghost mm. is one that just sort of walks through a wall and ignores you, you know, but whereas a spirit is one that will talk to you. I'm like, well, where did that come from? Mm. Because that's not something that I've heard. But then again, like you say, people are only putting their own labels onto things and there's no sort of guidelines to say, well, actually, maybe if you did it like this, yeah. then we will be singing from the ha- same we hymn sheet. We really need some guidelines. We do some need guidelines. some guidelines to actually sort of put down to say, so this much. is what we should be doing mm. with it. Absolutely. Definitely. I think, and also just trying to, the first thing before you can even assess or classify phenomena is to categorise it. And I mean, you know, starting with poltergeist, obviously uh, working on Bastille poltergeist and things like that, we talk about what are the stages. I think previously there was three and then the sort of working one now is five. And the system I designed, Hollow Scales, got seven because as we started going through cases, I would find that there was really niche stuff that doesn't necessarily happen in every single one but it happens in a majority and sometimes it's overlooked there's much more like intricate steps in them so you know we kind of started with that but um i've also been trying to work on a classification system for um spirits that have color tags so you have white ladies and things like that but scotland has also got blue ladies red ladies orange ladies things like Mm. that and people ask you well what is that? What does that represent? So that's I've been working on that in between when I get a minute, everything else. <laughs> hundred and other things that you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred and other things that I have to do. But yeah, just just even just trying to get a a guide. I mean, I, I've been working on three manuscripts for years and the kind of non you know, the kind of more academic one is kind of like a, what I'm calling a hauntology handbook, yeah. which is essentially a, a book of cla- kind of like a Breverton's Phantasmagoria. Yeah, you're classifying yeah mythology and things like this, but this is a specifically looking at categorizing types of paranormal phenomena um, in a much more aggressive way. Excellent. I mean, that's the, the ideal thing to have. Is it's something you can actually refer to and go to and say, yeah. look, you know, this is it. Like like you said with um, the other book, people are going to refer to it and say, well, look, you can find it in here. Here's a perfectly good explanation of it. We need that. We, we really, really need badly that. need that. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so, yeah definitely. See, Come on, Evelyn. Whenever I get, get it. it done. You, t- you touched on earlier. You t- earlier, you touched on Spooked Scotland. Which we we're looking forward to. We we're definitely looking wait. forward to this. We yeah. really are. The trailer looks absolutely brilliant. I so have to say. Can you tell us? Can mm. you tell us what are we likely to expect from that? And what is it like working on it? Tell us all about it. So, you know, Spooked Scotland um, is uh, is due to come out at the end of the month. I think the first episode airs twenty seventh of May on Channel Really. And then it's immediately available to stream on Discovery Plus. Um, and I think, I believe provisionally that it's also should be available in places like America and things like that oh, on Discovery so Plus. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's it's 10 episodes, I think, off the top of my head. 
um, and lots of different locations in Scotland, myself, uh, Gail Porter, Chris Fleming and Ryan O'Neill. Um, and so we all kind of have different roles. Gail, Gail Porter is obviously presenting. Chris has been hired as an American, um, I guess, medium, I guess is the way to describe it. Yeah. And Ryan is from Haunted Scotland. He is very much um, the tech guy, yeah. you know, he's got the equipment and investigating. And then myself as a parapsychologist, just looking to kind of assess the mythology and history of the locations. What are we potentially experiencing? And then also when stuff is happening, trying to rule out what we're maybe experiencing or what might be happening or if something is happening how is that possible mm. um so i'm kind of the, the um the yeah the, the consultant essentially um but no it was it was great fun to to film um turn our production company were just absolutely class mm. um i've ended up being really good friends with most of them oh, um absolute banter mm. uh had a great time filming and um yeah, it's uh, it was great. The locations that we went to as well were really interesting. There's um, you know, places where sometimes film crews have never been allowed before. Oh, that's that's cool. what you um, need, isn't yeah, it? Somewhere, somewhere that's different, completely untouched. Yeah. So you can go in with a blank slate and just exactly not see. the same old same that you see on every yeah. program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's the bit yeah. I love. There was definitely yeah. There's some really lavish locations as well. I think I believe anyway that the first episode is brought at Castle. That is actually the last one we filmed. Oh, wow. And I was, I mean, it's its just the most insanely beautiful castle I've ever been in. Um, it's incredibly well preserved. Um, it's, its yeah, um, it is the Buckingham Palace of Scottish castles. Wow. Um, and just being on an island and, yeah, I mean, I think on the final night, we film overnight for some of the episodes and the final night, you know, it's raining and all the lights are off in the, this insanely huge castle. Wow. And I think the final room that, you know, that we ended up in was in, is incredibly beautiful. And, and yeah, there's, um, there's, a, there's a picture I posted on Instagram, I think, from when we wrapped. That was our last episode and we wrapped. And um, I got to play piano. You know, it's like a couple hundred years old. It was gifted that, to the yeah. lady of the house on her it's 21st birthday. And I got to play it. And I was just sitting there going, how do I get paid for this? Like, <laughs> is this my job? Um the, that happens a lot, I think, as a parapsychologist, yeah. especially when you're working on lots of really exciting, cool stuff, and you're like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. <laughs> like, I'm just really excited all the time. But you put in the work. Uh, for it, it is though, the best job you? in the world. I mean, yeah. you put in the work beforehand. All the all the the sort of education stuff you've had to do to get yourself to this point. I mean, it, it's paying off for you now, and it's yeah. right that you should do that. You know, and it's interesting people I mean, like yourself yeah. that we. You really should be turning to in this field. Well, we, we need more ladies in the we field. We do need more ladies. We I really tend to find do. the ladies talk a lot more sense than the blokes. Seriously, no, <laughs> that's true. I'm quite happy to hold my hands up and admit that. They do. But it is, it's predominantly male-dominated. That's the Sadly thing. Sadly, it so is, it's, yeah. it's lovely, Evelyn, to have you um, doing this kind of stuff. I think the... Uh... Yeah, the vast, I mean, the vast majority of most scientific fields, not all of them, but um, a big chunk of them uh, were or, st or still are, especially STEM, um, is uh, is male yeah. dominated, but I think there's only a handful of parapsychologists in the whole of the UK, and I can only name one other female parapsychologist, which would be um, Caroline, who's at um, Edinburgh University. She's like mm -hmm. the head of the cost of parapsychology unit. Yeah. She's you, you know top of her field, but she's the only other one I can yeah. name off the top of my head. And I think especially there's an intersection between the paranormal and um, you know, and class and things like that as well. It interacts with a lot of socioeconomic things. Yes. So if we have everyone in the field 
simply being, you know, say uh, middle class, cishet, mm. male, whatever. They're only going to have one Absolutely. viewpoint or experience. Yeah. So you don't get to experience people with other uh, religious backgrounds or belief, but other socioeconomic backgrounds. So I grew up lower working class. Um, I also um, grew up female. I, I myself am personally pagan, but I came to that much later on through sort of different beliefs and, you know, uh, and things like that. And then, yeah, and then, you know, Scotland, you know, being Scottish and coming from that culture and intersections of, you know, language and history of oppression and genocide. And mm. so where does where does that all interact with 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 belief? Because I think class is definitely the one that, that comes up the most, because if somebody who was upper class in a big, beautiful Georgian townhouse Joe said to you, oh, like, we've got a ghost and they tell you, everyone would, you know, takes it fairly yeah. seriously. But if someone in a council estate says they saw something, they're like, did you? Yeah. You know, there's definitely yeah. this kind of class, right, of, of, well, you know, paranormal belief is for uneducated, poor people who don't know any mm. better. And people who are sort of wealthy, educated, well-to-do are um, much more intelligent and much more rational. And there's definitely this, in, there's definitely a thing of discrimination. And the same with uh, women as well. Yeah, the same thing of, oh, because women are more likely to believe in paranormal mm -hmm. aspects, so they're taken less seriously when things happen. And yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, it's an uphill struggle. Really is, yeah. yeah. Speaking yeah. from experience, well, I, I can say, yeah, I mean, I, can say, I, mean yes. I, don't, I don't have any sort of education in this sort of field at all. I'm not a psychologist or anything. I did anthropology as a degree, so I'm sort of more into that sort of thing, side of things. And um, you just basically did sort of A-levels and stuff like that, didn't you? I just bounce around doing psychic bits and pieces. But does it make us any, does it make us any less do. valid because we're interested in what we do? No, because, you know, we're passionate about what we do. So we learn an awful lot more about sort of certain things. And we're always looking to learn more as well. Is my point less valid than somebody who's got a degree, but, a science no, degree, for instance? No, absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. I, I don't think, you know, class should. But you're absolutely right you in what right. you say. Yeah. It makes, and I think, I think that concept really needs to change, you know, because I've spoken to people from, like you, have all walks of life and, you know, their, their experiences are, are no different and they shouldn't be any different it doesn't matter what class you are it, it should all be taken seriously and that's one thing I loved about you know Danny Robbins uncanny um podcast and series that he did because that was you know people from all different walks of life of talking people. and we, yeah. we've you know obviously got the uncanny community on the back of that where you know we come together and we talk occasionally about things and it's absolutely fantastic because nobody is dissing other people's perspectives no or judgment, point of view there's no good. judgment and it's lovely that that we all accept each other's views you know we've all got different views and we're all very accepting of it because none of us really know the answers yet you know yet no I'm sure it yeah. will come eventually. Yes. <laughs> so do you actually undertake investigations yourself if you get time to actually do it? Do you actually go out with a team and investigate? Or do you tend to be called in on things? No, so... Yeah, I get called in, so I don't. Um, I uh, I don't do like sort of like you know ghost hunting no, and things no. like that. Um, I um, get yeah, I get called in basically as a as a consultant for for shows where there's already a case or phenomena has already mm -hmm. happened normally, and then I'm called in to kind of assess what has happened and um, uh, you know and to work mm -hmm. on it. I think working on Spooked Scotland was the first time I was kind of actively on investigations because we had like Ryan with us whose job is yeah. to do yeah. that he has his own team they're great you know they're they're fully kitted mm -hmm. out to do it and then you've got 
Chris is there doing, uh, you know, you know, being Chris doing his his own thing. He's kind of got a different take on it. And then Gail is there to present and also just to be an outsider because she's got no kind of skin in the game. So she's got to uh, just be there as a as an individual, a third party, just to outright kind of guide it and be your own person and potentially experience it. And then I'm there to kind of go, OK, well, what is happening and assess it and categorise it and talk through it. So I'm kind of curating mm essentially but no I don't uh I don't normally work in the field um I do host um I host private tours in Edinburgh um where I walk around and take people to locations but yeah it's more looking at the kind of history and mythology of places um rather than active investigations um I mean I like being on them I had I had a great time on um, on Spooked Scotland doing it but it's just um it's just slightly not with um, my field. I'm definitely yeah, the, the consultant that comes in to, to assess That's it. That's what we need, um, though. And kind we of, need more kind of, of this. Post-talk. We need more of you. Yeah, but then it's up to it's up, <laughs> it's up to the teams themselves then to actually follow some sort of guidelines to actually Absolutely. what they do. Because if we just go out and say, woo, wow, ghost is a demon. Ah, look at that. Wow, like you do. Or stick some great big, like, um, clickbait thing on YouTube to get yeah. people to click on and come and have a look at it. There's no point. You need to be recording evidence and putting things down, and then hand it over to somebody like yourself and say, This is what we have. Record it as carefully as you can. And then you've got that chance then to look at it and say, Well, okay, it could be this, it could be that. Mm. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? There is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing at the moment, I'm taking apart the Room 611 thing from Uncanny. I've listened to all three episodes, written down mm-hmm. all the evidence, and I'm writing it up as an investigation article for Haunted Magazine. And it's amazing when you look at it, the things that happen, mm-hmm. but linking them all together. But then it's like you said, it's like digging down into it and thinking, well, okay, this happened. What about that? Why did that happen? What can you put it down to? And the thing I like about the Batsy Poltergeist and Uncanny is your take on things. Mm-hmm. You... Don't take what the sceptics say for granted. You will still stand up to them. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you find well, that sometimes... I wear size yeah. 7 boots. Like, that's always my... Yeah. It's. I think it's the it's the attitude of... Um, the, you know, most people, they do want to believe. They'd love to be proven wrong. You know, Kieran says that a lot. He'd love yeah. to be proven wrong. Um, they're, they're obviously really keenly interested in it. But I think there is definitely a niche where... Um, they uh it's fine i was doing an interview this morning and somebody asked me that they were like it's really odd because we googled through lot you know there's only a handful of parapsychologists and the ones we look through all of them are like hardcore skeptics and so i am one of a few or or certainly the only one i can think of off the top of my head that that wants to you know i've got to go through and rule out what everything is i don't automatically believe but i tend to there there are sometimes where you get people and no matter how much evidence you give them, even if the experience, even if they're there themselves and they experience it and you've ruled out everything else, they still will not believe. And that to me is like bad science because yeah. nowhere else would we have, yeah, that much evidence and interaction and still continue to ignore it. You would always follow that as a line of inquiry and go, okay, well, if it is this, then let's look at Absolutely. it and then start ruling yeah. out stuff and work down. And instead, no matter how much you give them, they won't look at that line of inquiry. And I'm like, that's, that's not what science is no. supposed to be doing. So I find that really strange. And I think I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, I go into everything with an open mind and, and, you know, I would say at least half to two thirds of the time you can probably rule it out roughly as other things. But once I've ruled everything else out, if what I am left with is the paranormal, then I have to investigate that. Like, surely oh, that sure. is my job. Yeah. So I, uh, I do, yeah, I do definitely lean more into to that. But I think also, yeah, you have to have thick skin because being someone who 
is more likely to advocate for it being the paranormal uh, and and being a, f- a female scientist is you know is, is, is there's lots of things that you'll have to just kind of learn learn to deal with because you know that people will just say Tell okay okay part. and then they'll just talk ab- yeah nonsense about mm. you you know but I mean I have grown up um making myself is as, uh, as uh you know, I, I was doing an interview the other day and I said, you know, I am not nice. I am aggressive. <laughs> and because you have, you sure, have yeah. to be. Yeah. So otherwise, like I won't let, um, you know, when you grow up and you're used to um, people, you know, ignoring you or talking over you or whatever. And I'm like, son, I grew up in a trailer park. I wear size seven boots and I know how to bar fight. Like you don't want to go toe to toe with me. Um, but you've got to, because otherwise other, other people don't want to talk about their experiences or say anything because they're going to get ripped yeah. apart by a bunch sure. of uh, people who are really, um, you know, people who have not, also not had those life experiences, people who are like kind of upper middle class smug men on the the, in, the internet where we're like, well, it's, it's simply Straight not up. that. And, you know, um, and I'm like, but you've never had the lived experiences of mm. any of these people. So how can you possibly, you'll say, well, that simply doesn't happen. I'm like, but you... You don't have that lived experience. So how can you possibly you say that? You can't happen. just prejudge. You know, That's how can you prejudge you. someone? No. Yeah. Listen to what the person's saying. Oh, like you said, but then it comes to that situation where, well, they're below me. So it's whatever they say is not valid. So I'm not going to listen. It's nuts. And it happens across all sorts of things. I remember I was listening to one of the interviews where he said about um, third world countries and tribalism and stuff like that, where they sort of put to one side because they're backward. Mm-hmm. You know, because they don't know what they're talking about. But I mean, the case of the matter is actually they're mm-hmm. an awful lot closer to it mm. because they're closer to nature, they're closer to mm-hmm. natural things, they're closer to this sort of stuff. It's more in their beliefs. So when they come out and say something, actually they're a lot more believable than people here that say something because they're a lot closer to it. And I think these things are sadly thrown to one side. Definitely, they? they're yeah, and their cultures yeah. are older as well. So if you look at um, you know, medicine and things like that. You'll have people that will have been using um, uncertain things for hundreds and hundreds of years, and their understanding of um, plants and herbalism and thing is is incredible. And they they know things that we, you know, might not know. And so there's also really remote cultures that we just don't know enough about. And so the attitude is that oh, they're unscientific and they're unenlightened. And I'm like, and they're this and they're that. And I'm like, what you actually just mean is that you haven't colonized yes. them yet because you're exactly. stamping yeah. your version of what you think is valid and what you think is scientific and what you think is rational on another culture. And I can guarantee you it's because you're from a first world place and you're yeah. white. But you think that people with different colored skin who behave differently to you are unenlightened and don't do things. There's a hundred, there's lots of dog whistle oh, racism yeah. and paranormal. Oh, um, stuff that I yeah. come across all the time and it's definitely this yeah attitude of other cultures are unenlightened and I'm like why because England never stuck a flag exactly. in it and went that's ours that. now yeah. I, just I will believe say it. I will say very <laughs> if you hear a meow it's not us it's my cat it's the cat she, she <laughs> it's likes not to get on the we're not purring and we're not meowing we're not ringing a little bell pretending to be a cat so. yeah she, she likes she Nigel likes so join, yeah, she, she joins in so. that's what right. else have we got get her so, I mean, you've talked about ruling everything out and, you know, then you're very open to this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, you've talked about your family and growing up and the fact that, you know, your your parents had both had experiences. So what is, have you had any particular experiences yourself that really stand out sort of growing up or anything like that, which has really made you challenge your thought process on it? 
I think, I think for me, I uh, having you know having not talked about yeah. them for for years, and then I think when I when we were doing Battersea Poltergeist live and we were touring, there was one night where somebody had submitted a question specifically, I think, asking me about an experience, and my brain immediately went to. I mean, there was there was lots, but the first one that that really you know jarred me, really stuck with me, and I and I talked about it live on stage, and and Danny and I talked about it afterwards, and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to talk yeah. about this at some point, <laughs> and um, you know, and started discussing it, and I um, I mentioned it. Uh, I, I somebody else asked about it this morning on another call, and um, and so it's kind of the one that I go back to. There are there are lots of weird things that happened that I will probably take me some more time to process before I'm able to talk about them. But the first one I will talk about. Um, so when I was a, a teenager, somewhere, I, I think I was 15, but I could have been as young as 13. I um, came into town. So I'm from Livingston and West Lothian, just outside Edinburgh. And I got a bus into town. I'm 90% sure I was <laughs> skipping school um, to go and buy uh, comic books. And um, so I'm sitting in Hunter Square in Edinburgh and it's lunchtime so there's lots of office people eating their lunch and drinking coffee and stuff sitting on the steps and in the middle of this big square there's a big group of pigeons and uh there's a lady feeding pigeons who who, who looks quite disheveled she's probably a bag lady or, or a homeless person i'm just feeding the pigeons fairly normal and every so often you know i glance up from what i'm reading um, and, and was watching her feeding them and eventually at one point i look up and one is kind of uh, eating right out of her hand basically uh, and she sort of picks it up and, and lifts it close to her face and she's sort of talking to it and things and I'm like oh she's kind of like the lady from uh, yeah. Home Alone that, that's <laughs> always feeding the birds in Central Park and I was like oh she must come here all the time she's literally like talking like the pigeon is really chill like she's obviously mm-hmm. been here a lot and so she's holding this pigeon up to her face or sort of talking away to it and then I glance I look down and I glance back up and she's sort of leaning the pigeon towards her, and I'm like, "Is she going to kiss the pigeon?" Get weird. Um, and then, so she's she's leaning it towards her face, like she's going to kiss it. And I'm like, "So I obviously stop yeah. what I'm doing to watch." And then at the last minute, she opens her mouth, and I mean, her jaw unhinged no like a snake, way. and she bit the head off the pigeon. Seriously? She put the whole pigeon. Literally, she lifted it towards her face very slowly, and I thought she was going to kiss it. And then, last second, she opened her mouth like in a natural width, put the whole bird in her face, and bit down. And I mean, you like she bit what? down into it, like what, you like kind of Aussie donut. style biting. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I obviously yelped. You yeah, know, yeah. Went, you know, just for a second, literally just clasped, clasped, clasped my hands to my face, and then, you know, and then. And then sort of, you know, and then and then and then when I opened, I mean, my eyes were only shut for a second, maybe two seconds, just instinctively, yeah. you know, sort of cringed back. And then as I opened my eyes, she was gone. Oh my god, she was gone. And That's the weirdest bizarre. thing was, all the bird, all the birds were still there. Do you know if you go near a big group of pigeons, at the very least, they'll sort of flutter. Yeah. They might not fly all the way, the way, but they'll definitely yeah. flutter back. They didn't. All of them were still there, like nothing, like nothing had happened. Wow. They were all completely still. And the thing is, they were still eating. The, she'd she'd had like bread or seed or or peanuts yeah. or something in her hand, mm. something small in her hand, and they were still oh, eating it off so the ground. Sh- that's, that's how. So like oh I know God. she was still there, because the birds were still like the birds had not moved and they were still eating whatever this stuff was off the ground. It wasn't like they were picking yeah. it, you know, debris. It was visibly still on the ground. They were still picking at handfuls of it. Birds and had there was moved, no she was way gone. she could have run. And or... mad. 
No, it's a it's a, Hunter Square yeah. is a fairly big square, and so you go in the front bit where the uh, where the Starbucks is, and there's uh, the church um, mm. Tronkirk to the left side, and then you go down a set of steps, and on the left hand side there's like kind of like a raised pyramid bit with all the steps right. on it. That's where everyone yeah. sits. So I was sitting there, and there's this big open square bit, and there's a post box and stuff, and. And the street is completely open. So, I mean, even if... I mean, I had my no, eyes shut for a second, enough. two seconds. No. It, enough time for her to, at maximum, yeah. stand up, wow. maybe. But other than that... And she had, you know, you know, stuff. And just... The weirdest thing was I looked around me, obviously, and nobody else reacted. God. Everyone else was just sitting drinking their coffee or on their phones or eating their sandwiches. Yeah. Like, I looked around so and like it was like nobody else it. had seen it. I think a few... No, like I think a few people immediately to my left and right sort of looked at me because oh, obviously yeah. I yelped and kind of jerked back. They just sort of mm. were looking at me, but nobody else. Like I was looking around thinking surely everyone else just seen what I seen and nobody else That's... was bothered. And so I, wow. you know, I, I came home and I said, you know, and I, um, I, I came home and I think I remember saying to my mum, I think I was, she was washing dishes in the kitchen, I was drying them. And, um, you know, I, I think I, um, you know, said like, you know, like, I think I saw a lady eat a bird. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, you know, the, the kind of thing. And I um, I remember um, I remember my mum saying to me something along the lines of, like, she was she was here, but she wasn't there. Or she was there, but she yeah, wasn't yeah. here. Do you know what I mean? Like that. Um, and so, but that one stayed with me for a long time because it wasn't like a, something sort yeah, of passive right. happened or I heard some noises or spooky mm. stuff kind of happened. This was broad daylight middle of the day in Hunter Square, it was busy and I watched a woman who is as real as you and I are feed a bunch of birds and then eat one and then vanish in a second. And I like there was oh, yeah, right? shit. There's, so I mean did I, you did you do any research or anything? Like, I mean was was there anything that had happened at that particular place historically? No, I mean, I've never, you know, Tronkirk has a, Edinburgh is the most enchanted city on earth and she's mm. the city of ghosts. So if you start digging into stuff, you're always going to find it. But I, I never, I, I mean, it never occurred to me to like Google Pigeon Lady at <laughs> Did Hunter it not? Square, I'm but, surprised. Um, nothing, no, it didn't, but nothing, uh, you know, nothing ever kind of, uh, you know, Tronkirk has its own kind of history of things like that. But the thing is, she wasn't like, she wasn't, uh, you know, old looking as in like Victorian no. or Tudor or anything or Middle Ages. She she looked fairly right. modern in that she looked like the mm. average person you might walk past on a street. Edinburgh has mm. quite a lot of homeless people and she looked no more different than that. As in she looked like the jacket she had on was a waterproof, not maybe quite an anorak, yeah. but, you know, like a, 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 a large mm. waterproof. Um, and the she, the trousers she had on were like basic kind of black slacks, maybe not quite leggings, but that sort of loose okay. thing. And she had trainers wow. on, do you know. So, um, like just kind of like they were quite they were quite dirty. They look maybe yeah. similar to Skechers, I guess, that sort of thing. So she looked there was you know there was no that's why I never thought anything of it because right until the last second because she a just looked normal person. Like normal. you said, some, she's from here, down so. out just feeding the birds. Yeah, that from this time. So it's odd. It turned up, fed the birds. And pick one up. Just is she there for that purpose, just to grab one and eat it, and then go? Maybe some kind of weird yeah, interdimensional but how could being. She go? It's just bonkers, that, that's isn't it? I, that's a brilliant <laughs> story. That's absolutely uh, fantastic. Unless it's one of those things, like something that I'm fascinated in. Unless it's like, you know, quantum theory and parallel dimensions. Someone from parallel universe overlapping. Yeah. And yeah, something because that, that fascinates me. Yeah. 
what if there is some kind of time it. glitch and we do have these dimensions if you like that really do overlap over. for whatever because even with paranormal experiences and things like that they only seem to happen for a minute two minutes whatever they, they don't go on for days or weeks or hours that they're, they're always very very quick so it makes me wonder whether it is some kind of dimensional time shift or overlap that is yeah. is causing i mean me being a psychic i'm still interested and fascinated by the science behind this because i want to know how it all works and, and why do you hear these mm -hmm. weird things in your head or see these strange well, things? well yeah this yeah. is why i love what you do because you're bringing sense to it and it's it's fantastic what you do i love you it operate sort of it's not really in that field as such but you look at uh it's a word i can't say consciousness, consciousness. <laughs> yeah yeah and um consciousness quantum yeah. is it quantum mechanics yeah. of it or looking at consciousness as, as more of a sort of molecular thing rather than a mm. Yeah, so my working theory, when I was doing my undergrad, my um, my working theory, so we're always yeah. trying to solve a hard problem of consciousness. It's um, psychology's mm -hmm. greatest unanswered question. And I, as in my early 20s, I started to believe, okay, well, what if consciousness is um, not, you know, I, I'll say molecular, but it's, it's technically the wrong term. You know, what if it's like yeah. particles? It's very, very small. And so, you know, if it's if it's built up of um, you know much smaller things or, or individual properties and things like that, but they're very small, then it wouldn't be governed by classical physics. Yeah. It would be governed by the quantum. And once it's governed by the quantum, you start once you apply you know a quantum physics to it, yes. a bunch of stuff that it didn't clicks. make sense suddenly yeah. starts to make sense including um, you know, how things can blip in and out of existence. We know that happens in the quantum world. Uh, even time itself, how that behaves, um, things collapsing from superpositions and the ability, you know, when we, we're even still now, we're still behind because we're That's just starting right. to look at you know, neutrinos and quarks and things that mm. behave in ways that yeah. violate all other laws of science. So things that look like magic to us are not. And, you know, so... Once I started to understand that, I started to go, well, hang on a minute, because a bunch of stuff in the paranormal kind of starts to make sense. And if you assume that consciousness is governed by the quantum, then if consciousness can survive past the human body, the physical, actual, our body, um, if it can survive past that and it's governed by quantum, suddenly, you know, things like ghosts or poltergeists or whatever suddenly start yeah. to kind of become possible yeah. and they start to make sense. Um, and so I um, I was working on that for a long time. I was working on this kind of like hollows theorem of uh, kind of like the science of ghosts. And but we, you know, and at the time I mentioned it to one of my professors and he was like, no, no, I don't I don't think that I don't think there's any governance for consciousness potentially being molecular or particular or whatever. And then lo and behold, like a couple of years later, I think I was in the final year of my degree. Um, a couple of scientists did research using um caterpillars so caterpillars uh when they go into a cocoon they completely liquefy they have no body i mean they liquefy um down to the smallest possible parts um there is no That's brain there is no heart anything like that it's pure goo it's literally goo and then it reassembles itself and it merges a butterfly so what they did was they took caterpillars and if memory serves me, they sort of basically kind of like trained them in a maze or they trained them to remember things. They basically behavioral conditioning. They got them to associate certain things with food or solve certain like problems or Pavlov's behave in certain ways. Yeah. Mm. And then, 
Yeah. yeah. So Pavlovian conditioning, essentially. And then they got into their cocoons, they liquefied, and then when they came out as a butterfly, they did the same test and the butterfly would remember. Ah. So that means that it was not like, right? So it's not like it yeah. liquefied down and then it becomes, it just you know um something grows out of the liquid and it's two separate things the butterfly has the same consciousness as it did when it's a caterpillar i know it's like the ship of thesis experiment mm. where the body is completely different yeah. but the consciousness is the same and i was like motherfucker like i was i was i was I was like, I went to to a professor and said I believed that, and he basically laughed in my face. And then four years later, someone was presenting at a conference uh, with that, yeah. and I was like, God damn it, we've done it. I was, <laughs> but you know, so there's a lot more tests and stuff to be done. But that, you know, what from there, and I mean, that was a while ago now, and now we're at the point of that's at the same year that we thought that um, spooky, what Einstein called spooky action at a distance, um, your quantum entanglement was only a theory yeah. and now not only do we know it's real there's um the research unit in china has got it down to being able to do it with stuff really? almost wow. visible to the human eye like they're not they're not just doing it with small tiny tiny quantum you know governed particles they're now doing it to the point where we're almost at the point where you're going to be able to do it with stuff that's visible that's to the human eye that's where we are now wow. so it's, I think there's going to be in the next, you know, 10 years, obviously yes, with COVID yeah. and everything else and the general late stage mm. capitalism and everything else. And the, I mean, most of all the, um, you know, global warming and stuff, there's, there's, you know, some other areas of science might get slowed down because mm. we need to focus on bigger things. But hopefully in the next, I would say in the next decade, we're going to see some oh, really incredible stuff. I, do you know what? See, it's, that's, it's just, do you know what? That's bloody last. That's say, all I've got to say. It's what you're looking Gosh. for. You want the answers. You know, yeah, you want to be able do. to sort of say, well, look, could it possibly be this? And then you've got that working theory. Yeah. Is there anywhere, do you, have you sort of recorded this in sort of note form or anything that can actually, people can actually access and look at or? Um, so for me, I uh, I was going to look at doing this stuff for my uh, my master's dissertation, but I ended up working on something else. Um, but generally, I've done guest lectures on this, like where this kind of all interacts. And I've done guest lectures on it, but I don't think any of them were recorded. Um, but now that lectures are kind of, you know, we yeah. can do stuff in person again, um, kind of hope, hoping to do more. But it is kind of in the uh, the manuscript yeah. I was working on, the hauntology one, um, it is going to be talked about in that because as a, before you even get into categorising phenomena, I'm obviously sure. going to have to talk extensively about yeah. what I even believe some of this phenomena is. And so I am going to talk about it in that. But um, I should also probably just, I do get asked about it a lot. So at some point, um, I think... Who was it that approached me? Someone approached me last tail end of last year in December to write two articles for the um, the journal for the Society of Psychical Research, and I think one of them was was going to be on that. So I was going to um, publish an article in that journal about it, but then um, everything kind of went into chaos. My dad died, and then I was in the middle of filming and stuff so I just it's just there's there's loads of writing work that should have been out or done at the end of last year and all of it has been pushed um I between filming and podcasting I haven't yeah. been able to write anything for about um for about six months so but um yeah I am hoping to kind of get back to writing in papers and stuff because it's the easiest way to sure, distribute yeah. information is just to let people read it um so yeah, hopefully we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of get back on track with the the writing work. But yeah, at the moment, mostly mostly kind of audio and working Superb. on cases. Yeah, brilliant. Superb. So I mean, you've touched on um, 
we've well we've all touched on uncanny with danny robbins and the battersea poltergeist that you did and you talked um extensively with shirley didn't you wasn't that live you interviewed shirley live on bbc mm -hmm. am i right am i right wait so i did um i did a piece on i was on this morning uh, itv's this morning um with with Shirley so they interviewed her and then in the second segment they talked to me just as a parapsychologist and they had a bunch of live yeah. people kind of get in touch with the show and have me assess some things um Shirley also came out to the Battersea show the kind of crown show of Battersea Portuguese live that was um um I think it was sold out it was I mean it was, it was certainly rammed um uh, in Battersea on Halloween and we had her in the royal box and she got to take questions live from the audience um, and Shirley and I do still keep in touch um, we've we've Skyped a couple of times or used Zoom or whatever and she emails me regularly and things like that and keeps in touch um, but yeah I, I think I spoke to her the other week actually but yeah we, we keep in touch and I've got oh, her, her daughter on so, Facebook I mean, and things like, like that so yeah to somebody great. that was right at the centre of this case because a lot of the time you know we have stories and people have passed away or, or you know moved on and it it just must be fascinating to be able to have somebody that experienced that phenomena that you can actually talk to yeah, it was actually person. the focus of the whole thing as well because it did yeah. all, all revolve around her didn't yeah. it so it was it was really unusual because in these kind of historic cases yeah. um it, yeah everyone's exactly. dead so you don't you can't talk to any of these people this was the first really big i mean Battersea poltergeist is just mm -hmm. the holy grail of poltergeist cases it's absolutely insane and surely still being alive and us being able to talk to her um it was yeah it's an absolute gift because you don't have that so you take a lot on assumption or you're constantly digging through notes and obviously we had harold chibbett's notes but to be able to actually yeah. go and ask shirley is just unheard of it's a really unusual case um, and so that, yeah, that was that was great. And I think for a lot of people, regardless of whether they believed or their own theories on kind of what happened, like when you talk to Shirley, um, you know, about it, it's, you know, it's it's regardless of like what you believe happened or didn't happen. You know, all of this is very yeah. much real for Shirley. And I always say that, that regardless of whether you believe or don't believe the trauma for a person mm. um, is real is real whether it's a, a ghost or a poltergeist or people at it or environmental factors or whatever the trauma yeah. is real and you have to treat it as such um so but yeah it's a phenomenal case phenomenal case to work on um and um yeah Shirley's class she's really really interesting she's quite canny and um her uh, and I got to meet lots of her family and stuff as well so I think it must be really weird for Shirley as well I always think that to be Gosh, I think she's in her yeah, 70s I think and um in her 70s yeah. and to suddenly be yeah you know on this That's morning massive. and <laughs> and having you know a viral podcast wow. made yeah. about her that was number one in the world for several months and then being in the royal box and just yeah, yeah. just that must be well, really, incredible really bizarre to be involved with those really about bizarre. podcast. I mean yeah. that is cool, yeah. It's it started the ball rolling on so many things. Yeah. I mean whether or not there'll be copycats to do the same sort of thing, I don't think they're gonna be able to match it because of the way it's been done. It was so clever. The fact that you had the sort of the drama element of it. Mm -hmm. Then you had yourself and you had Kieran and you had Danny telling the story. You yeah. managed to speak to all these people. You had Shirley on there. I mean it's the weird thing is, I remember listening to another podcast saying it, it's one of those podcast cases that's like swept under the carpet. You're looking through it and you suddenly, well, 
it's not there. It's not like Enfield, you know, where it's in your face and you can find it straight away. It's like, wow, look at it. And the things that happen. And you're trying to sort of say, well, oh, there could be that. It could be this. It could be that. But there's so many things in that case that you cannot explain. You were saying about, um, well, possibly you were saying about the noises and the actual level of the noise was loud enough to get people out in the street. I mean, that's nuts, isn't it's it? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. We recreated that in the theatre because we, we, Danny did an experiment where he kind of worked out like how loud would it have to be, a noise have to be for your, your neighbours to, to, to hear it, I mean really clearly during the point where it feels like it's on their wall. So we estimated that it's about, it's about 100 decibels, it's about the point where neighbours could go yeah. okay we can, like we can really hear that. Um, so we, I mean that th sounds theoretical to people, but we did it live in every theatre. One of the pieces that we opened with was we played a banging, just a simple banging noise, and we started it about like say, you know, forty, fifty decibels, and then we upped it and upped it and upped it. We upped it to a hundred decibels, and I cannot describe to you how loud a hundred decibels of banging actually is. We were in theatres that see, you know, more than a thousand people, sometimes five thousand people, and wow. the place shook, the walls shook it was absolutely insane and you could see people being like you know we're not talking about no. your neighbors banging on the wall or you know someone slamming a car door or whatever we are talking about you know like there's a point where you know Ethel or grandma would say mm. you know the other side oh, it's like the blitz because that's what it was like it is the the whole house shakes so short of you yeah. you know hiring like a jcb or something and having it knock through a wall there is physically no, no way That's for any it human so being to create that to blame the brother didn't they for it as well but i think i mean wasn't it right he wasn't yeah. even there oh God, for some yeah. of it yeah yeah <laughs> we so had a job doing that from australia, australia wouldn't we yeah. yeah that'd be quite he clever was in australia and the sound about yeah, having like the fox my, sisters and clicking favorite, her toes yeah, or yeah. clicking her fingers to make the noises and you think well it's nuts you can't do that no yeah Yes, yeah, I don't, you know, if Shirley could click her toes at 100 decibels, that exactly. would be far really more interesting than being a poltergeist. Uh, <laughs> that is, yeah, insane. And yeah, I love the, yeah, it, it, was, it was the brother is like my favourite theory know, because right? he it's moved away to Australia yeah. halfway it's through nuts. the case. And so I was I like, mean, guys. <laughs> your theory yeah. on the whole thing, yeah. after know. you've talked to her, you, you've done your research and all the rest of it, would you put it down to a paranormal experience or something else? What What are your real thoughts on that whole case? So I think, yeah, I definitely believe it's paranormal in nature. Um, I don't believe that all the phenomena yeah. is paranormal yeah. because the case spanned 10 years. So it would be sure. weird for there not to be stuff that happened. And because you've been enduring that for mm -hmm. so long, you go, it all gets lumped in together. And I definitely expect there to be human interaction because, again, it's 10 years. If you're experiencing that level of extreme, you know, just trauma and violence for 10 years and nobody believes you, Absolutely. of course you're going to start playing into it or adding things to it, you know, like kind of happened in like the um, the, the Enfield case and things like that. Um, what, how would you not? Well, and other people will probably interact yeah, with it as well. I fully response, expect that. Fully expect that. I mean, you know. And but yeah, to me, I don't, I don't think all of it's paranormal in nature. I think there's points mm -hmm. where there's there's human error or human interaction or human embellishment, and I think not all of some of the phenomena got lumped together. But I think the core of it, 
the, the, the you know the core of it or the the kind of central phenomena mm. is paranormal yeah. in nature fantastic I do believe so, Stuff, so yeah. what have you got lined up next for us what's coming up in your world so i've got um so mm-hmm. spook scotland comes out uh, at the end of this month um on channel really and discovery plus first episode goes out may 27th and I've also got a lot more into podcast interviews coming out. Oh, wow. I think you were number <laughs> four Superb. this week alone. Um, it's it's been busy, um, so I think there's there's uh, there's a few coming out. So there's maybe half a dozen or so this month. Um, there's press coming out for Spook Scotland. There's like interviews for newspapers and things as well. Um, we are also Danny, myself, and Kieran are yeah. also performing yeah. at the Hay Festival at the end of the month. Um, so down in, down in Wales or on the, the border of Wales and England um, yeah we're at the Hay Festival I'm still yeah. trying to kind of find out because I don't know if we're recording it or not obviously Simon's yeah. going to be with us Simon Barnard from Bafflegab so I don't know if we're recording it and then it's going to be put out or if it's going to be streamed or, or what um, and so we're, we're going to be doing that so we're going to be doing like a special episode of Uncanny Live I don't think we're quite quite know what we're working on yet but it's going to be a, an uncanny special live from a festival basically um but yeah i need to find out if um if that's being i'd assume it's being recorded but um yeah if i mean especially if simon's going to be there and stuff so i assume so and then it'll get released maybe online as a special but yeah i do need to to find out but i mean i'll post plenty of stuff and whatnot on my um instagram and twitter and whatnot instagram stories so people can kind of watch what we're doing behind the scenes um but it'll be yeah it'll be fun to do at a festival of for podcasts, I feel like, you know, with our kind of team from from Batpole and Uncanny, it's um, it's we do some really unusual stuff because mm. we're a podcast who ended up doing like a live theatre tour and then we're performing yeah, live at a festival and that's Super. kind of unheard of for podcasts. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a kind of weird kind of branching out of the the format, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that and uh, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be a busy summer, lots of um shows and That's interviews great. and things coming up. So one more thing gonna be plenty to come. I follow you on Instagram, okay. You put pictures up and you put some fantastic mm-hmm. writing underneath some of them, which is all your own work. Um you're not only just a mm. a factual writer, you're a fiction mm-hmm. writer as well. Are you at some stage going to share some more of that? Because mm-hmm. even yes. it's so Please good. Please do. Please you are do. such a good writer. I mean, it really sort of sucks you in. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think before, you know, before I was a, was a parapsychologist, um, I was a writer and I've been a writer, I've been a published author from, from quite a young age. Um, and I, uh, I wrote, I had a, a writing blog. I was a resident author for couple of different publications, esoteric design, things like that. And I wrote mostly. And then when I came into parapsychology, it kind of went to the back burner a bit because I was working so much on this stuff. Um, I started, you know, I've got three manuscripts and there is a non-fiction manuscript, obviously, the kind of hauntology one. But there's also one that's kind of a blend of fiction, non-fiction, and there is a fiction manuscript as well. And they're all collections of short stories. I've been working on them on and off yeah. for years, yeah. but just because my work schedule is so chaotic... I binge work on something for like a week and then I get sick of it or something. And then I suddenly am waylaid for like four months on another project. But um, I've, uh, I've also been, I work as a, I kind of, you know, I work with another, with another writer, Will Christopher Bear, um, who um, is grand a title as, as always says, I'm his muse. And so I work editing and kind of reading through his work and things like that. Um, and we, 
you know, we'll probably end up maybe working on stuff together at some point. But um, it's one of those things where I want to do more. I get asked about it a lot. People always ask me if I'd ever want to open like a Patreon or um, what's the other one? What's the one that Chuck Palahniuk uses? Yeah, it's, like it's a, more not, literal. It's, it's like Patreon, but not. It's more for writers, whatever that is. It depends what is. you want to do, whether you want to like use um, audio and visual with it as well. Because yeah. I think sometimes reading, reading a blank word is good, but it's also nice then to listen to someone reading it as well. So... I think yeah. When I'm when I'm kind of posting on Instagram, it's just because I used to be president of the Writer Society at QMU, and I was for several years. And the classes I taught, I taught um, writing classes at um, festivals and universities and things. And I had my own specific methodology called the cold press method, which was so that you rapid improve your writing, so you don't have to edit. I very very rarely redraft. Um, and so when I'm doing that on Instagram, even though it's just it's just me posting stuff and then writing underneath, mm-hmm. I'm doing it in that methodology and in mm-hmm. that format. And it kind of stops my yeah. brain from going stagnant, because if you don't write yeah. for a couple of months yeah. and then you try to sit down, it's horrific. It's really difficult. So doing that, even though it's just, you know, me just sort of non I'm just sort of talking about my life and things like that or my experiences, I'm kind of writing in prose format. It keeps my brain thinking like that and in that loop. But yeah, lots of people ask for you know, Patreon or more writing stuff or whatever. And it is something that I have looked at. And I always tell myself I don't have time to take on another project. But if I did that, even if I was posting something once a week or something, it would probably keep me into writing more. And um, yeah, lots of people ask me. Not that they're trying to twist your arm or anything. I just find um, it's so wonderful. It's so descriptive. I mean... Yeah, no. When you read through it, just short little bits. And I'm now like, oh my God, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, So yeah, no, that's really, really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm looking to do more with it. I will definitely one of my, one of my main add it to the list. There's so much to do. Looking yeah, into doing a, doing, add it to the list. The list is the length of a Leonard Cohen song. Oh bless at this point. you. Yeah, it's so, um, yeah. whereabouts can we actually sort of yep. access you? I know you've got your own website, so we can plug that. Um, you're active on. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Karen, even so. So you've got yeah. My, yeah, so you've got my, yeah, so there's a website, www.evelynhollow.com. You've got um, uh, Instagram as well, Evelyn Hollow, Twitter, underscore yeah. Evelyn Hollow. That's kind of the main three places where I am. Um, Twitter is kind of more, you know, interacting with everyone that I work with. So there's the Uncanny community on there, about Polk community, um, promoting stuff that, you know, me and Danny are up to, uh, me and Gail are up to television. So that's kind of, more active discussion like if people need to speak to me or tag me and things twitter is the best place for that instagram is mostly just me yeah posting kind of what i'm up to and mostly (laughs) i uh, don't know how you do it the purple (laughs) 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 do you go out every single night because that seems like that Oh yeah, today is today is my ninety third. What's the secret, Baraka? What is it? What is it? <laughs> Baraka. No, I just um the do you know it's it's just that's just yeah my lifestyle and uh, the um yeah it started as a kind of running joke thing of uh, of being on a permo and then it was yeah. like day twenty odd and then it was day fifty we're like right at fifty we pack it in and it's just kept going and uh, actually the hundredth day will be the day that I travel down to <laughs> Hereford the night before hey on why so um but yeah I just I don't know that's like my it's it's work hard play hard is my kind of lifestyle I don't really get. Hung, I hung over. I'm more just tired. Um, I can put away red wine like it's water, and I just, 
don't yeah that's that's my lifestyle I'm busy and I work all 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 the time and then you know at night time I'm out uh I'm out with uh with you know other hospital people and working and yeah and then get back up the next day and do it it's it's work hard play hard so yeah it's most of my instagram is mostly you know um stories it's me kind of partying <laughs> and it, some of it's professional some of it's what i'm working on but most of it is yeah actual well, just you being just, you isn't exactly. it yeah me being on it and it's and, absolutely and, brilliant you know, out in ball gowns yeah instagram's more personal it's more like writing and stuff like yeah, that and kind of partying yeah. and twitter's kind of the more slightly professional everybody talking to each other thing because yeah. you look like some sort of femme fatale from a film noir sort of thing your photographs bit, are amazing. stunning. A bit I do get that lot, They yeah. are stunning. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Hedy Lamar, yeah. I've um yeah, I do kind of fall into that I think merging of two aesthetics yeah. which is usually like 40s kind of femme fatale and uh, or noir high I noir and then kind of like goth mm. noir vampire. But yeah, I just kind of blended two aesthetics and was like this is my aesthetic now. But um yeah, definitely that's why uh, I there's there is yeah there's a lot of um people that kind of didn't know i was a parapsychologist or or a writer or whatever because they just kind of followed yeah. based on like 40s fashion and style and things like that and went oh wait you do, you're not a scientist you do things for the telly i was like yeah I, that's my it's my my day job other than just cutting about drinking red wine and ball i think that's brilliant because you you've got those two personalities i think that's it's right. absolutely brilliant yeah yeah you're a true star. What what, what yeah. can we say, Nigel? Honestly, I'm so glad I got to speak to you. You know, I'm a big <laughs> admirer of what so you much. do. So thank you so much for coming on here and chatting to us. It's no do problem. Do come at back all. and talk to us again. Yeah, can thank we get you for having me? Yeah, you're welcome anytime. Yay. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I know you're a very busy lady, but Absolutely. we'll help you further down the line. Yeah. See how you get them. We've got some new projects under your belt. So thank you very much, yeah, Evening no Hollow. We'll say goodbye to you from here and we'll see you again very soon. Take okay, care. Thank you. Cheers. Sure. No problem. There we, we go, will. everyone. Evelyn Holland. Thank you for what having me. What can I say? She's fab, isn't she? Thank you. She's an amazing lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it now. I do have a soft spot for her. She's lovely. Well, hey. Well, <laughs> hey. But I'm old enough to be a dad, but there we go. So that's it from us. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. We'll see you all again very soon on here. So thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Thank you very much. Good night. Goodbye. <laughs>